0: What's up, everyone? We are joined by Shannon on the show today. Shannon is an analytical marketing leader at the top of her game, counting 10 plus years of MarTech experience with amazing SaaS companies. She works out of Vancouver, but is originally from Ottawa. She's got a BCom from the U of O and a master's in digital tech from University of Waterloo. She got her early start in marketing and UX at Fluidware, an Ottawa-based startup with the same founders that are now behind Fellow.app. Fluidware was later acquired by SurveyMonkey, where Shannon went on to spend almost three years in marketing operations, where she worked with some of the top Marketo experts in the world. She went on to run the remote ops team at an HR SaaS called Vizier for almost four years, and Shannon is currently marketing ops manager at Clio, a distributed cloud-based legal tech company, and she's building an awesome team with interesting open roles right now that we're, we're going to dive into. She's spoken at top Marketo conferences like the MarTech Conference in San Jose. She's certified by Marketo. Salesforce demand base. Shannon, it's uh, a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for taking some time.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm super thrilled to be here.
0: Um, I had you as a guest speaker uh, in uh, the DMC portion of uh, one of the classes that I teach on the side and I think that's something students and early marketers would get a lot of value from is hearing your story. Like your story is super unique, how you joined an Ottawa-based startup, like living in Ottawa, you studied in Ottawa, and this startup went on to be acquired by SurveyMonkey and then you went on to to have a couple of different roles there. So walk us through, like uh, take us back in time a little bit and walk us through that period of your journey.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I found myself like in I think it was probably 2008 when I graduated and it's the recession, no jobs are available. So (laughs) of course, I go back to school to get my master's and try to pursue uh, a, a career in UX because that was something that I was kind of interested in. I had a marketing background. I felt like there was some alignment there thinking about the consumer psychology and how that kind of translate to the digital realm. So I, I finished my master's and was like, great, the world is my oyster. I can literally go anywhere. I want to go to like California. And then I find myself back in Ottawa where <laughs> I grew up, which is funny. So I had like such big ambitions to kind of go out to the United States. But um, it was the first job that came knocking and I had some student debt. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> Ching, I'm gonna sign here. Uh, so I found myself in Ottawa working at um at Fluidware. And I I really wanted to be a UX designer. That's kind of what I envisioned, but I didn't know what it was. And it was so new that I don't really think anybody knew what was like the role. (laughs) So I ended up doing UX design, but I also ended up doing everything else because it was a startup. So I was doing some marketing emails. I was running their promotion email letter uh, that they would send out and uh, doing a lot of um, customer stories and White papers, and assisting with our uh, like really assisting our marketing department almost in like a marketing coordinator type of a, a role for a while. Um, so getting a taste of really everything that ha- that happens in a business. I was even at some points writing like user documentation and getting on sales calls. So <laughs> my role never really job the job description was never um, complete uh, so to speak. Um, so through that experience, I, I started to get a sense for what I really liked doing and what I really didn't like doing. And what I really didn't like doing was anything that had to do with content. <laughs> uh, so I was quickly understanding that demand generation and, that, and branding and content marketing really wasn't for me. And what I really enjoyed doing was the technical things, the data work, problem solving. So when we were acquired by SurveyMonkey, like first of all, that was like a crazy day where <laughs> they tell us like, "Oh, you know that company that we've like hated for so long, <laughs> and like put signs up saying like we're against them. Like we love them now." <laughs> we're all just like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a roller coaster of a day. Um, very exciting though. Uh, that obviously opened up like huge doors for small Ottawa. You know, very early in a career, a person like me to all of a sudden be part of this huge company that has all these established processes and established marketing tech stack. Uh, to get introduced to that and start to see what a well operating marketing system and department look like, like a really refined one. I'm like, oh, wow, like they have processes and they have templates and they have <laughs> standard operating procedures about how everything gets done. And that's where I met Courtney McRae, who is, uh, I think when you're referencing some of the top Marketo uh, experts in the world, like she's definitely one of them. And, uh, and I got to see her work and learn from how she set up campaigns and, and sit with her on calls. And she tra- actually was one of the first people who trained me on Marketo. And I think it was probably thanks to her that I started to see myself as wanting to become a marketing operations professional because I just saw the kind of things that she was doing and she was so tech savvy and she would liaison with people across the company and all these different types of capacity. So I was like, yeah, that's definitely something that I want to do. And at the time, remote work was not a thing and nobody else in Ottawa was hiring a marketing operations (laughs) manager, which is what I wanted to become. So I, I found a job posting for out in Vancouver and I picked up my life and I moved out there, which was really not an easy decision because SurveyMonkey was an amazing, amazing company to work for. I had a lot of friends there. My life was in Ottawa. So it was a really tough decision that I made to, to pursue this dream of a career for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get to Vancouver and I started working as a marketing operations manager. and. Uh, it was a it was a big learning curve for sure because I went kind of from this split marketing operations and demand generation and all the other things that I was always doing to just focusing in on marketing operations and what does it mean to kind of let go of a broader portfolio of work and then become I guess very t-shaped where you're very deep in knowledge in this one specific area so there was definitely a lot of learning that happened in those three years from just, understanding what it means to build a a MarTech stack and thinking about integrations and data governance programs. And that's when GDPR came about. So that was obviously um, like a big project that happened during then and um, being like the Courtney at Vizier supporting (laughs) the rest of the business. Uh, So that was like a really exciting time and living in Vancouver was absolutely beautiful and amazing. And then, um, started having a family, realized need to move back to Ottawa. So I'm actually in cool. Ottawa right now. Okay, cool.
0: I didn't know you were just, back.
1: Yeah. I just moved into a very empty house. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I joined Clio about seven months ago and uh, we are a very fast growing company, looking to hire a marketing um, operations specialist. And uh, in this role, I'm still executing on my dream to build the center of excellence within Clio, this marketing operations center of excellence, and really have this well-oiled machine of just um, amazing data governance programs, a singing MarTech stack, um, amazing support to uh, all the marketing teams that we support. So, yeah
2: very cool story i mean going it feels like the story is going full circle for you on on several points of your career but one point i want to drive into or or ask a little bit more about is going from you know startup wild wild west to seeing what does a top tier organization look like from an ops perspective what, you know, peeking on the other side, what does it look like from a startup perspective looking at at this uh, mature organization and, and what did you learn as you, as you went from into that organization?
1: Mm-hmm. I think one thing I learned about myself was that there's this, I guess, personality test that you can do to understand like where you tend to lean towards. And I think I lean at heart to red, which means I just like go, go, go drive. Like I just want to go. And then there's the color blue, which I think is more expected of the operations role, which is like slow down, do the data analysis, mm-hmm. is this the right thing to do? Thinking about, think about all the risks and be a bit more cautious before moving forward. So that transition was like me working through like my internal drive to get shit done, which is like startups thrive on that, to maturing into okay, I still want to get shit done, but first I need to make sure that's the right thing to do and I need to look at our processes that we have set up, our tech stack, I gotta look at the data to make sure that this is gonna get, deliver the KPIs first and think through how that integration needs to be set up. So we. I only have to do it once and not twice. Yeah. So um, that was, I think, the biggest learning was just understanding myself and my my natural tendencies to wanna just drive a project to um, yeah becoming a bit more of a refined marketing operations professional. Mm-hmm. And I think for people coming from a startup world, it can feel very painful. Like people are being slow, bureaucratic, unnecessary process. And sometimes it it is. Like, I'd argue not all process is good process. Yeah. Um, But that's, that's like, and and then the rule also seems a bit more closed off. Like I can't do everything. I can't just jump into Salesforce and build out new objects and fields. There's another team who does that. (laughs) Yeah. So, so there's a bit of all that to get, to get used to, but it allows you to really specialize and focus on what you enjoy doing most.
2: Yeah, I can I can empathize with a lot of that. But uh, I did a brief stint in marketing operations. We jumped right from a startup into marketing operations consultants. And when you said not creating fields and objects in Salesforce, I was like, wait a minute, we're not allowed to do this. And uh, yeah, that was a learning experience. And also another shared journey that we have is uh, the GDPR. I, I my first week of consulting was literally as GDPR went went live, and that 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 was like an eye opening experience for me because I'm like, oh wait a minute, all this marketing tech stack stuff that I do it actually has legal implications too like what have I got myself into (laughs) <laughs> yeah i love it um so part part of the story
0: you got to vizier and <clears throat> able to move back to ottawa now because uh clio is a fully remote company right you guys are yeah. 600 plus people um spread out distributed across the world how as like a manager who's who's building a marketing ops team now how like what tips do you have on like folks that are carving out like uh their start in marketing and like they're they're stuck working on a remote team right now right like they 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 don't have that one-to-one mentorship of being in the office, right? Like we we all kind of started our career in an office. And so like for marketers starting off right now, it's, it's such a different world, right? So what tips do you have on like how Clio kind of runs as a distributed team? And, and yeah, give us some insights on that.
1: Yeah, I think one of the advantages that Clio has going for it is they very quickly made the conscious decision to be distributed by design they made that decision within the first month or two of the pandemic to say like, this is now our new operating procedure and how do we start to effectively execute against that? So immediately they're thinking about how do we engage staff? How do we effectively onboard? So they're setting up the infrastructure for us to be successful Like the HR team, the people team are setting all that up, the experience team, where they give us like, list of packages to help engage our teams like do you want to do a lunch do you want us to organize this event for you so like they do all that kind of stuff to help the morale and the team feel um, engaged Um, when it comes to like running a remote team i can't say that i have like written the book on it at all i feel like i'm still learning as i go but some of the things that i found helpful and i guess just running running a team is Well, we've recently made a transition to agile, so following agile uh, practices. And that has been really helpful because we do daily standups and we meet, we talk about what we're doing that day. We talk about the any injections that have come in that were Mm -hmm. unplanned and how we're gonna (laughs) deal with them. And there's just a very clear sense of what everybody is working on. So like achieving that transparency across, well, I was only managing to be two people, but I can imagine for bigger teams, making sure everyone is aligned on what's happening and giving that opportunity for questions and that daily meeting is very helpful. Um, The other thing is, I think, just being very vulnerable and candid and transparent. And that's some things that Clio really stands behind. They're an extremely transparent company, like Mm -hmm. very, very transparent. I know everyone says that in the interview process, but when I got here, I was like, whoa, they're giving us access to what?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And like just opening the books and like, here's the reporting that everybody looks at and here's a data literacy on how to actually understand these metrics. And every single meeting, going through that with the whole company hmm. and talking about where we, we missed the mark. And so like that really comes from the top down. Hmm. So it, when they're being transparent, it makes me feel like I can be transparent too. And I show vulnerability and I just tell people, hey, this is what's up. And I think that transparency and candidness is so needed in the virtual world where you can't pick up on subtleties of body language and you Mm -hmm. can't see somebody, you only see them maybe 15 minutes of the day or maybe an hour of the day. So I really just embrace that and feel vulnerable. And it's kind of scary and uncomfortable, but it's been paying off for me and my team.
2: Yeah, one of the toughest things of going and being in this remote world is the lack of You know, the feedback we take so much from the body cues and you know everybody's in the camera only one person can talk at once. Um, You've managed this tradition transition into into remote teams like what advice would you give your past self in terms of uh, navigating through through this first phase of setting up and ramping up and in the pandemic world to a remote first country or company.
1: Yeah, I guess I think I would just tell myself to not try to be overly professional that that vulnerability is what makes you approachable and more human and lets the relationship develop faster than feeling like oh you know i'm the manager i like i inherited a team so i'm the manager i have to put on this face like i know everything and i'm so confident when really i'm falling apart because it's a pandemic and i'm afraid and there's you know work that i don't understand yet in a company i don't fully understand so um yeah just having that vulnerability um like there was a day where i just like i actually broke down crying yeah. in front of my staff. And it was a very, uh, challenging day where I like, I thought afterwards and like, wow, you know, I really didn't want to show that vulnerability. Like that was, you know, was that unprofessional of me to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I later thought about it and I was like, you know, I think that they might've appreciated seeing that, that I'm a human being and that, yeah. ne- and you know, I'm going to talk with them afterwards, but like, you know, I was having a really rough day that day. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope that you understand that like, know that's okay if you feel something like that you're allowed to be human here yeah <laughs> and you can process emotions like naturally um, um so yeah that's uh i think that's the advice i give myself
2: yeah i think this like we don't give ourselves and, and our teams necessarily always all the all the credit we deserve we just went through like a, or going through like a global catastrophe that has upended all kinds of the normal day-to-day like coming in with a brave face is one thing but coming in with your real face like we talk about life work balance and I think striking that does says it comes from the top top down and I believe as a leader, when you show vulnerabilities, people will step up and and also say, well, I have a responsibility here on this team, too. It's just not just my boss pointing to where things go. Uh, You mentioned inheriting a team. How did you, from a leadership perspective, come in, um, establish your processes or uh, work with the team to establish a process? How did that process work for you as opposed to like building it from the ground up?
1: Well, it was a lot of learning. I I had to understand what were the processes that they currently had, the projects that they had ongoing. And in the first few months, my goal was to just not to be disruptive and to have some hubris that like, Mm -hmm. I don't know everything. So if there, if things are going in a certain direction, like stay close to it, let it evolve, but also don't feel like I have to just interject because I I didn't want to become that person who just was like stopping things because there weren't, because I didn't fully understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was just like at the beginning, just a lot of learning and listening and then starting to understand through feedback and through engagement and a very like democratic process where we would have open discussions like, hey, I'm noticing this challenge or like the staff members brought about this challenge. What's, how do you think we should solve this together? Um, and then that's how we kind of, we came about with the agile practices is, hey, we're feeling like we don't have transparency into what everyone is working on. There's a lot of injections that come up and we don't really have a process of saying no. How can we start to get more methodical about how we approach work? Um, so our, our agile practices is very is fairly new, but I think it's it's been pretty exciting to watch and see how we're delivering um, results for our team.
0: That's super yeah. cool. Having a process for for saying no, like how how do we respond to nicely in a in a nice way to say no, and how are we adding this to the backlog for for later? That's super cool. Um, I like I like the insights you just shared on on how you're you're kind of um, managing the team a little bit. Walk us through, uh, or maybe share a bit of details on like the team itself, like um how big the team is right now, like your marketing ops team. You, you mentioned you're trying to build a center of excellence. Um, that team is growing over the next couple of years. So talk to us about like how you're going to grow this team shape it in the future and maybe mention the role that you have open right now
1: sure um so the the broader marketing team is about 60 people currently we're growing to 75. it's got all the the standard roles that you'd expect pr ar content design product marketing demand generation so we support the the standard SaaS b2b teams the marketing operations team is led by Preet Minhas, who's their director of inbound marketing and the team is split up into between like marketing operations, which is myself and um, marketing automate senior marketing automation specialist and the senior or yes, marketing operations specialist, which is um, the role I'm hiring for. Mm-hmm. And we on the same team that's managed on, under the inbound function is also the web operations team and a data analyst. So there's about uh and a digital marketing slash cro expert as well so it's a uh, fairly like um, diverse diverse team in terms of skills and that operations function um, so in terms of the role that i'm hiring for is i'm really looking for somebody who's tech and data savvy who isn't afraid to jump in the back end and fix a bit of html in email code or to help set up a web integration Um, There's somebody who's been in marketing or have seen some marketing before, maybe from like a demand gen side or a marketing coordinator side, they have some familiarity with how marketing operates as a function, and they're looking to pursue like marketing operations, they've maybe built a few campaigns, they've um, experimented with some data programs, and they now see that this is how they want to spend the next few years is really specializing and focusing in on that. So what's important to me in this role is the person would love to be a problem solver, likes to solve problems and support the rest of the marketing function and and our vision to build that center of excellence, but we're not order takers in the center of excellence. We are active consultants and designing our destiny for this department. Mm-hmm. So I'm very conscious of that. And that like, we don't always say yes to what we're given. We will come back with better options, better solutions that mm-hmm. our partners haven't thought of because we have that area of expertise in our systems and our data governances. So that's that's what I'm doing. Um, I think the role is gonna be very exciting for anyone who's joining right now. We um, we're just kicking off a new project to redesign our centralized lead flow and our RCM, which is really the foundation of any Marketo instance, Mm -hmm. which we're gonna then use as a launch pad to redesign our lead scoring program. So there's Mm -hmm. some really exciting Marketo programs coming up. We're in the middle of buying a direct mail technology. So we're gonna start integrating with that and enabling our teams with some pretty cool ways to reach out to prospects and, and think about how we're gonna start reporting on that impact as well. So there's definitely that reporting angle in in addition.
0: That's super cool it sounds like a, a fascinating role like I am like there's like 17 questions that popped into my head about like the the marketo programs or like the mm-hmm. the role could be uh, diving into like I, I checked out the the job posting that you shared with us we'll, we'll share that in the in the show notes um, we're uh, still unsure like when we're gonna publish this episode but hopefully um, you know you haven't filled the role yet but you mentioned like uh, there's gonna be future opportunities on the team as well um, mm-hmm. maybe you can share a little bit on like how 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 this this role specifically, how you designed it. Like talk to us like who you're looking for specifically in terms of like where they are in their careers. Like something I wanted to like get your feedback on was the job title. Like, how did you come up with um marketing operations specialist for this role? Like when you you mm. you mentioned like you're looking for someone to go behind the scenes, like that's uh, technical ability, like experience in Marketo. Like to me, that person is like three, four, five years maybe into their careers and like like maybe they already have like a manager title so i'm curious like why you called it specialist or how you're seeing that like job title growth um, in ops
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a fair question um i came up with specialists because mostly because my staff member who previously just left was a senior marketing operations specialist so this is the intention is backfilling that role so that's why like there's already a position there for a specialist but we're not opposed to making it um a senior role, or maybe even a manager role, if the right candidate comes along. When I was scoping out the job description, you'll notice things that I, I didn't put like years of experience and I didn't put having a particular degree or like degree in marketing because I don't think that those things are as important as somebody who's just been in, around marketing systems and operations. So, like, somebody with like one to four years of experience maybe they've been a marketing coordinator and, and they will, are looking to specialize in marketing operations one thing that we've we've seen in the marketing operations function is that it's very difficult for somebody to come directly from university right into marketing operations because there's a pretty big learning curve but there's a yeah. lot of a lot to know so it's I find it, it's a natural feeding program from, from something like a demand generation or marketing coordinator type of a position. So that's why we were trying to account for that, like a few years of experience, seeing these different systems at play, but not necessarily managing them in, in that kind of capacity. Um, I do think that even though the title is not might not quite be there for some people's level of expectations, Clio pays very well. And we we will pay by experience. But one thing that we don't compromise on is is sometimes the titling system because we have very defined titling structures gotcha. in our, and they're very transparent. So everyone in the company can see what does it mean to become like, if I want to become a senior marketing manager, this is the milestones that I have to hit. And that's consistent across teams and across departments. So that's why we don't necessarily give out titles as readily, whereas some companies might just give it as a perk for the job if they're trying to be competitive and win somebody over. But Clio, I think we really, we have, we pay very well. We offer a lot of really great benefits. Our RRSP matching uh, is one of them. <laughs> and uh, it's a company that's fast growing. If the water is rising, everybody's everyone is going to be lifting up in their roles. So I think that what we can like promise as an organization is that there's going to be future job opportunities and promotion opportunities as the company continues to grow.
2: It's it's a fascinating position, and I also read reading between the lines. It sounds like you're willing to train a little bit for this position. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and I think like. The one of the assumptions that I have, and I admit this may be limited in terms of of my total perspective on this, but I honestly think marketing operations is probably the hottest area in in marketing right now. Particularly if you're looking to to make good, really good money, uh, to be extremely in demand and valued in the organization. Um, so having like a position where you can move from a demand gen or something else into into this feels like. A really awesome opportunity. Do you agree, though, that that marketing operations is uh, like a rocket ship in terms of people's career right now? Like it is super in demand. Is that what you're seeing as well in the market?
1: I, I read that in the interview questions. I haven't seen it personally, like before the pandemic, I was being hit up for job offers, like left, right and center. So I don't know if it's because I recently changed positions and maybe recruiters are like, hmm, like maybe it's too soon, but I haven't personally seen like a tons of activity, but it I also might be like, maybe it's not happening at my level that uh, all this is happening. So I, I trust that if this is something that you guys are seeing, then that is probably, that's a valid point and I'm sure it's happening, but I just personally haven't seen it as much.
2: Yeah, fair, fair enough you said something else and I like going back uh, Phil, Phil warned you that I have these curveball but you, you said something else that I think was subtle um, but I want to pull it out which is the idea that you don't run an order taking business like it sounds like you're architecting a, uh, an operations roadmap and you know when you're asked what does 18 months look like like what does it mean as an operations leader to architect a roadmap and to implement that on a daily basis I'm curious you know just for our listeners how you how you approach this.
1: Mm hmm. Well, it started off with some very deep diving into our systems, our like the tech stack, our processes, um, our data governance to understand where we currently are at. What is the status quo? And then based on what I've seen in other organizations or conferences I've been to, what a desired end state might look like and also incorporating what the businesses end goals are going to look like and starting to design how we will get there. So, like part one of this roadmap that I'm executing on is this lifecycle modeler. Cause I saw in the system, like we have issues with race conditions. We want to enable our team with better segments. So that's like the goal is starting with these goals, like enabling team with better segments and enabling them with better reporting. And then how we get there is through setting up these foundational systems in our Marketo instance. So that's kind of how I've built this roadmap. It's um, it's only like an 18 month, two year roadmap. I haven't done anything as big as a five year or anything like that. But uh, that's kind of where, where I'm starting is just like balancing the low hanging fruit, quick win opportunities as I'm new to the role and want to prove myself early
2: mm-hmm. with
1: also taking on these, these bigger projects, foundational projects that I think are really
2: crucial for the company. Yeah. That's so awesome. Thanks for sharing i want to go back to
0: one of the things you said about uh, my job title question um basically like one thing that i pulled out from from your answer is almost like if you're if you're an early marketer and you're hungry about like specializing in marketing tech or marketing ops like look for those roles that don't ask for like a certain number of years of experience or even like a diploma or anything like uh, that's that's actually one thing that i like um, i had on my list of things to ask you is like why didn't you put a, a number on like the the expected years of experience like I actually love that part of it because like it opens like your your requirements completely up like someone who like you mentioned like is in a marketing coordinator role who is interested about diving into Marketo and learning more about it like that person is more than capable of like learning rolling up their sleeves and like you mentoring them right but you're also not closing the door on someone that you know like could even be your peer like someone who's got like five to ten years of experience in Marketo and it's just like super pumped about Clio like they've been following them like I know Clio is a super cool company fast growing like um, so how do you like how do you manage the applicants that that come in from that like we we talked about like the, the Martech space being really hot right now like have you seen a ton of applicants at the top of the funnel like what's the range of experience that you've seen people apply to
1: mm-hmm. it's I've seen a lot of applications but I haven't seen many great applications, which is a bit of a shame. Um, I'm seeing a lot of applications from digital marketers and content marketers hmm. who in their resume make it sound like they want to continue to operate in that capacity. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't think that they understand what the rule is. So I think in these cases, it's it might be people who are just very excited about Clio. I can see in our greenhouse that they've applied several times to several different positions. Gotcha. And in those cases, it's like I want to like I have my score and rubric for the candidates. I want to give them a shot, but they don't take the time to explain how their skills are transferable to this role, which makes it very hard for me to make them to pass them through to like an interview round. But I am seeing some very promising candidates as well who are coming from that demand gen, that that marketing coordinator, even some IT roles Mm -hmm. where they've been working a lot with data, a lot with systems. Um, So those seem very promising. And uh, and to go to your question about like why didn't I put a number of experiences, uh, why didn't I put a you know, like a particular degree or anything like that is because I, I've always felt that that's like an unnecessary baseline that people have to have to get the role and that unfortunately it tends to privilege certain people mm. who can afford to have a university degree. So I, I didn't want to put that in the way of somebody's, opportunity at Clio when I don't think that people who have university degree are necessarily better uh, job candidates than somebody who doesn't. So that was important to me.
0: That makes sense. Um, can you shed a bit of light? Like, so like after you find like a couple of cool candidates, you're moving them down the pipe a bit, like what's, what's your process for testing, um, technical capabilities, right? Like you, maybe you're considering like a bit more of a senior candidate who said they've worked in Marketo, they've set up a lead scoring system. Like it's so easy for someone to say that and to like shove their LinkedIn profile with all the right keywords, but like, how do you actually get someone to, or how do you like figure out whether someone is able to back up their, their talk and their keywords on linkedin
1: hmm that's a good question because i haven't i haven't really approached it as if these if they're not being legitimate sure, about so. their yeah. experience.
0: Uh, let me spin weird. it one way then like how how would you test like is there like a testing component to, to to the application process like do you put any like how do you what's kind of like the the next steps after uh, the earlier interviews
1: Yeah, so for this role, we have a project presentation that the the candidate is going to present to myself, our director, the uh, senior marketing automation specialist and a a senior demand gen manager. So they're going to be presenting how they've executed similar types of programs that meet like how did you manage this kind of technical integration or have you managed a technical integration in your past and can you tell us about that? Or um, what is a a data project that you worked on that you're really excited about? So leaving it broad enough that it can apply to a range of different like background experiences that they might've had. And then having that broader team there to support me with the different questions. So maybe from, The senior demand generations perspective, um, he might ask questions about, like, okay, but like when you were working with your partner on this, how did you help guide them through the process or make that decision? And then I have my marketing, senior marketing automation specialist who can look at it more from that like technical process of like, if we're working together on this project, what would that look like? So I'm, I'm, Confident that through that process, we'll get to understand more about their technical abilities. Um, also, I I think that anybody who um, who applies this role probably wouldn't want to <laughs> necessarily be untruthful about their skill sets. But then they, <laughs> I mean, they they should at least have some openness to learning about the right. about those because that, that's what they'll be doing on a regular basis. So
0: <laughs> very yeah. cool. So almost like a take home project where um, like candidates will get like some type of questions where they, they get to like put a, a slide deck together. And then the next stage is like presenting that to, to some of the key stakeholders on the team. I think that's, that's super mm-hmm. cool. Like it's a r- very like real life, realistic project, like in, in an ops team, like you're constantly needing to like put projects together and present that to, to other stakeholders. So I love how you guys are,
2: are doing that.
1: Yeah. Thanks.
2: Yeah, I think uh, marketing operations is really tough to bluff your skill set on. Uh, Shannon, I wanted to ask one question, just kind of a broad, uh, universal question. The MarTech landscape, like it's expanding, always ever expanding, kind of like the universe itself, it's growing larger and larger as we speak. But... As somebody who manages a MarTech stack and, and has a roadmap, like, what do you think the, like, you know, uh, waxing a little bit philosophical, like, what do you think the, the future of MarTech looks like? Is it is it lots of tools? Is it a few specialized tools? And what does the impact have on an operations uh, folks like like, like us?
1: Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing more and more of is is the focus on integrations that we don't want any tools that will silo data off because that just makes it harder for the rest of the team to use that data and to report on it. So I think the emphasis is really going to be on how does all the technology that I'm buying work together Mm -hmm. and meet our team where they are. So that's one of our focuses right now on looking at our our project management system and reevaluating its effectiveness is like our team operates in Slack, like that's where we are. And we're forcing everyone to go into this PM tool, but how do we actually meet them where they are to bake these processes and systems together in a new, something that seems more easy, easy to do and just more natural than forcing people to leave that's these systems and go elsewhere. So that's my, my goal for our, our tech stack is to where possible, make sure that we're setting up the right integrations and also like a, just a focus on automation above all else is like, what are these redundant tasks that are happening? How do we eliminate that so we can have the team focusing on big strategic projects instead? So those are in my tech roadmap, those are my two key priorities right now.
2: Yeah, so cool super cool
0: uh shannon you've got a ton of stuff going on at, at cleo you're you're leading a really cool team and, and and building some really interesting infrastructure elements and you're a frequent speaker you're a constant learner But you also have like a busy personal life i know you're a mom you're working from home we love to ask our guests as kind of the last question here how do you balance everything that you have going on in your personal life and in your career and how do you stay happy and sane
1: mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question. When you find out, let me know. <laughs> the answer is. <laughs> to be honest, I, I feel like I have, ever since I've become, become a mom, I haven't had the same um, priorities, as, as like constant learning has kind of taken a backseat. It's now learning by necessity. <laughs> so when I really, really need to know things, it's like, okay, put a time, aside the time I got to focus in on this, but I can't really enjoy the same, just like binge learning where like it takes this whole Saturday. I'm just like perusing through an online conference. Um, so it, it becomes a focus on like, what's very important right now and making sure that, um, I I, one thing that I I try to do is just keep my working hours of like nine to five Mm -hmm. and as hard as I can be, because the work is always there. It's just around the corner from (laughs) where I'm hanging out with my son. It's it's very important for me to just get that distance and to make sure I'm feeling connected with my family. I know that I'll eventually get back into more conference speaking, more time learning. So I see it as just like a temporary state where, you know, I have had to make some adjustments. But um yeah, just uh just trying to stay optimistic <laughs> through a very uh challenging year and a half where this has been.
0: For sure, challenging for all, but yeah, I think you shared some some awesome tips here. Um, we'll uh, we'll send out uh, share out the link to the job posting as well as Clio, We'll uh, we'll share some links to your your social profile as well. Um, is there anything that you wanna uh, plug uh, finish off with uh, before we go?
1: For all the lawyers out there, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong audience. <laughs>
0: It's hilarious. I actually had that on my list of questions that we didn't get to, but like I, like I maybe in a part two Sunday, we can dive into like, how do you market to lawyers and how different of a world that was from like what you were selling to HR professionals at Vizier, right?
1: Yeah, you know, it's very, I, when I read that question, I was actually very excited to answer. Like we've shit. been doing a lot of A, B testing and I was like, oh, I could tell you like, it's very interesting the results that we see, but uh, yeah, definitely for another time.
0: <laughs> Amazing! Thank you so much for your time, Shannon. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch you very soon.
1: All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time.
0: All right, everyone. Um, all right, I'll start. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice, nice one. <laughs>